like, I like that movie, The Matrix, take the red pill or the blue pill. When you stay sleeping in a reality that has, this is not happening, but unfortunately, we have these spurts of history that, you know how, you, you know, every you ever seen the Matrix, they have that break in history, and then you'll get to see the Matrix, and we'll see that, like, as we described, the death of George Floyd was a spark in history, that we got to see it. Or the death of Freddie Gray. And I can go down the list of deaths that we see, that we'll see these reactions from society in regards to the protests and the marches. And we raise our hands in those moments and somehow the water settles and we want to just take the blue, whatever pill, and it just make everything be normal. Unfortunately, Baldwin challenges us in that. Blacks and whites, let's be clear, young and old, every genre of our society challenges us. And that's why he refers to the conscious whites and the conscious blacks. So with that, we're going to have our next reader, my good friend I just met here, uh, a former, uh, I mean, a, a existing, current colleague in the work of professorship, Calvin Smiley. Calvin Smiley, take it yeah. away. Hi, everybody. I came as a participant, as just a, as a viewer, and I guess now I'm a participant. So my name is Calvin Smiley. I'm an assistant professor in the sociology department at Hunter College, uh, where I teach you know, race, ethnicity, law, um, crime, stuff like that. And then I also work with Gigi at Kite, uh, where I go to Horizons on Fridays and work with the youth there. And then uh, I go to Rikers, uh, mostly on Saturdays, Working mostly with the young men um, at GRBC and then sometimes on Wednesdays at RABC. So I, I find that work to be uh, both uh, uh, hard but rewarding. And, um, and so thank you, Gigi, for allowing me to do that. So um, I'm going to read for two parts, if that's okay. Yes. Uh, they're both short. Uh, the first, because again, I didn't know I was doing this, so I was handed the book and said, find something to read. So the first part I found was actually funny. Our first and our second reader actually read right before and right after. And I was like, oh, there's this one section, so I wanted to read it. But then I was like, oh, maybe I'll find something else. And as I was finding this something else, and I was like, oh, i got to read that. Uh, someone brought up Marlowe, and it was exactly that. So I was like, oh, i got to read both. So, um, <laughs> So if you, if you do have this version and want to follow along, it <clears throat> starts at the top of page 300, and we're going to go right just to the bottom of page 301. Uh, people more, advantage, uh, more advantageous, advantageously placed than we in Harlem were and are will no doubt find the psychology and the view of human nature sketched above dismal and shocking in the extreme. But the Negro's experience of the white world cannot possibly create in him any respect for the standards by which the white world claims to live. His own condition is overwhelmingly proof that white people do not live by these standards. Negro servants have been smuggling odds and ends out of white homes for generations, and white people have been delighted to have them do it, because it has assuaged in dim guilt and testify to the intrinsic superiority of white people. Even the most doltish and servile Negro could scarcely fail to be impressed by the disparity between his situation and that of people whom he worked. Negroes who were neither Negroes who were neither doltish nor servile did not feel that they were doing anything wrong when they robbed white people. In spite of the Puritan-Yankee equation for doubting that money was made or kept by any very striking adherence to the Christian virtues, it certainly did not work that way for black Christians. In any case, white people who had robbed black people of their liberty and who profited by this theft every hour that they lived had no moral ground on which to stand. They had the judges, the juries, the shotguns, the law, in a word, power. 
but it was a criminal power to be feared, not to be respected, and to be outwitted in any way whatever. And those virtues preached, but not practiced by the white world, were merely any means of holding Negroes in, sub in subjection. It turned out then, that summer, that the moral barriers that I had supposed to exist between me and the dangers of a criminal career were so tenuous as to be nearly non-existent. I certainly could not discover any principled reason for not becoming a criminal, and it is not my poor, God-fearing parents who are to be indicted for the lack of this society. I was icily determined, more determined, really, than I, uh, than I knew, never to make my peace with the ghetto, but to die and go to hell before I would let any white man spit upon me, before I would accept my quote-unquote place in this republic. I did not intend to allow the white people of this country to tell me who I was and limit me that way and polish me off that way. And yet, of course, at the same time, I was being spat upon and defined and described and limited and could have been polished off with no effort whatever. Every Negro boy in my situation during those years, at least who reaches this point, realizes at once profoundly because he wants to live, that he stands in great peril and must find with speed a quote-unquote thing, a gimmick to lift him out and to start him on his way. And it does not matter what the gimmick is. It was this last realization that terrified me. And since it revealed that the, that the door opened on so many dangers, helped me to hurl me into the church and to be unforeseeable paradox. It was my career in the church that turned out precisely to be my gift. For when I tried to assess my capabilities, I realized that I had almost none in order to achieve the life I wanted. I had been dealt, it seemed to me, the worst possible hand. I could not become a prize fighter. Many of us tried, but very few succeeded. I could not sing. I could not dance. I had been well conditioned by the world in which I grew up. So I did not yet dare take the idea of becoming a writer seriously. The other possibility seemed to involve my becoming one of the sore people on the avenue, who were not really as sore as I then imagined, but who frightened me terribly. But because I did not want to live that life, and because of what they made me feel, everything inflamed me, and that was, the, and that was bad enough. But I myself had also become a source of fire and temptation. I had been too far—I—I been far too well raised, alas, to suppose that any of the extremely explicit overtures made to me that summer, sometimes by boys and girls, but also more alarmingly by older men and women, had anything to do with my attractiveness. On the contrary. Since the Harlem idea of seduction is, to put it mildly, blunt, whatever these people saw in me merely confirmed my sense of my depravity. So that's just the first part. I got a little second part. I just wanted to read the second part. This one's a lot shorter on page 340, um, halfway down where the first full paragraph starts. I'm going to read them just a little bit. Uh, white Americans find it as difficult as white people elsewhere do to divest themselves of the notion that they are in possession of some intrinsic value that black people need or want. And this assumption, which, for example, makes the solution to the Negro problem depend on the speed with which Negroes accept and adopt white standards, is revealed in all kinds of striking ways. From Bobby Kennedy's assurance that a Negro can become president in 40 years, to the unfortunate tone of warm congratulation with which so many liberals address the Negro equals. It is the Negro, of course, who is presumed to have become equal, an achievement that not only proves the comforting fact that perseverance has no color, but also overwhelmingly corroborates the white man's sense of his own value. Alas, this value can scarcely be corroborated in any other way. There is certainly little enough in the white man's public or private life that one should desire to imitate. White men at the bottom of their hearts know this. Therefore, a vast amount of the energy that goes into what we call the Negro problem is produced by the white man's profound desire not to be judged by those who are not white, 
not to be seen as he is. And at the same time, a vast amount of the white anguish is rooted in the white man's equally profound need to be seen as he is, to be released from the tyranny of his mirror. All of us know whether or not we are able to admit it, that mirrors can only lie, that death by drowning is all that awaits, uh, awaits one there. It is for this reason that love is so desperately sought and so cunningly avoided. Love takes off the mask that we fear. Mm -hmm. We cannot live without, and no, we cannot live within. Yeah, no, we. What, why those pieces? I've always liked reflections because we internalize it. What was about that professor that that, so, that stood out to you that spoke to this space in this time? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the, the yeah. second one I read, and then I'll go back to the first one. So the second one I read, you know, it made me think about uh, what we we term white privilege, mm -hmm. and this idea of um, how white privilege is a it, it comes from kind of an academic term, and it was used, but in the last couple of years, you know, we've we've seen this kind of attack on. Um, critical race theory or, or, or what, what you can call it. So people now say, well, I'm poor and I'm white, or I'm, uh, I'm not, you know, I have, I have this going on. How can I have white privilege? And it's to understand that white privilege doesn't mean that you don't have struggles or that you don't have uh, hardships. It's to, it's to say that your, your whiteness is not one of those, right? And that you can still benefit from your whiteness even through those struggles, right? So. If you are white and getting pulled over by the police, you're probably not thinking, oh, I'm getting pulled over because I'm white, right? Whereas I'm sure many of us uh, folks of color here have walked past the police, gotten pulled over by the police and said, I hope this not a racist cop. Or I hope this motherfucker had a good dad. Or I hope this girl gave him some, you know, That's something. Right. You know what I mean? Because that is something that is on the front frontal lobe of our mind. And so that's the first part. And then the second part of it is this idea that white people know, right, this, there's, the, the, this is all a charade, a charade, a charade. It's all a big lie. And so when I teach, I teach a class called Law, Society, and Civil Rights, and the, one of the things I teach is the Constitution. And uh, not that many people read the Constitution on a daily, but if you ever read the Constitution, it defines race very explicitly. Um, which race do you think it defines? Do you think it defines white people or black people? Black people. No. Who's black people. It defines blackness. If you read the Constitution, there are several points where it says that the importation of Africans was going to be banned. Not the, uh, from Africa, but not internally. The internal slave trade still exists. It talks about the fugitive slave law, that if you're a slave... Oh, you got your Constitution. There you go. If, you're, if your slave runs away that you can get your property back. Mm. It talks about the idea of the three-fifths compromise, which says that for every five black enslaved people, they count as three white people. It talks about in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, the ending or the abolishment of slavery, the 14th Amendment, which gives black people citizenship. The 15th Amendment gives black, people, black men the right to vote. Throughout this entire text, it defines blackness. And so by defining the other, you define oneself. So if you are not black, then by default, you are white, right? So we see how it's, it's a lie, it's a big gimmick that they constantly are using. And the way you lie is you project, right? So you project outwards. So that's, that's what I got from the, from the second piece. The first piece, you know, I, I was funny. Um, you started talking about Harlem or something, and I was just reading it, and I started reading it more. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, uh, I'm from Jersey. I always say, I always say, well, I always say Jersey's the best state, and everybody goes, ah. Oh. And then I always say, but New York City definitely doesn't identify with upstate New York. So New York City and Jersey definitely, I think, have much more in common than the rest of the rest of the state. But no, we, don't do that. We can we argue about you, you identify with Rochester? I don't know. I don't know. At all. Oh, no separation. Okay, right. I got you. I got you. Uh, uh, right. No, no, I got you. Right. So, um, all inclusive. No, of course. Um, I moved. I moved to the city in 2009 for graduate school. I lived in Harlem. Um, love Harlem. In Harlem. That's right. You know, Harlem. To, you know, Harlem is Black Mecca. Right? It's, it's, it's Black folks Mecca. Um, 
you know, it gave us people like James Baldwin. It's, it's the place where black folks came from the Harlem Renaissance to uh, uh, Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, Lorraine Hansberry, Claude McKenna. I mean, you know, we could, the list, uh, Malcolm X, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, I mean, you know, we can, the, the, the list goes on and on. So, you know, when we think about what the black cultural aesthetic is, I would argue, and I would argue, uh, uh, you know, comes, comes out of Harlem. But, you know, and then I juxtapose it to, you know, the Frank Sinatra song of, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, talking about New York. But there's something specific about coming out of Harlem or coming out of the ghetto that James Baldwin talks about that is so uh, profound. And then I think about the young men that I work with and how that is, that is the life that they are trying to uh, both navigate, negotiate, escape, stay in. And so uh, uh, that's why I chose that piece. Mm -hmm. You know, that idea about what the gimmick is, it's a hustle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, life's a hustle. And so that's, that's why I started thinking about it. I think that when I, I, I think about the gimmick, I, I think about when he said that when I was coming up, you either had to know how to play football, you know how to fight, you know how to dance, right. you know, and today as that transition to our world, you notice that your gimmick, oh, got to know how to rap, mm -hmm. got to know to the ticket out, ticket talk, those things that, 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 that kind of reflect, steal that out. And that out is reflective of that poverty of that ghetto and, and reflective of Harlem. Harlem, and describing, as Baldwin describes it, it's, it's, it's more of the concept of the ghetto, across, because this, this, this literature spoke to black America across us all of us to identify with the pimps on the pimps and the players and the bop 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 uh Tupac had a song all around the world the same song. Yeah. Yeah and he, he knew what the hood was, said the hood was there. Yeah and he I mean he and he says the writer, I mean the, the rapper is still a writer, right? The rapper so or, or even when he says, you know, that the, the avenue scared him. We know he doesn't say pimps Sex, I mean, but we know who he's talking exactly. about, the, the hustler, we know who he's talking about, who he talks about, because being on the avenue, right, or being on the corner can both give us life and death. I mean, you know, I think that's what's so profound about, like, shows like The Wire or mm -hmm. books like The Corner, right, is that, you know, that's that's where everyone congregates, that's where we get our news, that's where we understand what happened, and, uh, but it can be a scary place, too. Yes. It can be a really scary place. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From uh, Community Central Community Alternatives, our man, man, Marlon Devine, coming up. Thank you. Uh, so, my name is Milad Devine Malal. I'm the entry coordinator for CCA Central Community Alternatives. I'm also an author. I wrote four books, so you can look online and check that out. Well, as I'm formerly incarcerated, unfortunately, I did almost 20 years down in Virginia, but you know, that's life. So, um, the passage that I'm reading from the four pages start on page 16. Oh, why well, use a tablet? Because I got technology to be, so I'm paper tech. So, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, from page 16 to probably page 19, right? Uh, no, I'm start right here. In the same way that the girls was destined to gain as much weight as their mothers, the boys, it was clear, would rise no higher than their fathers. School began to reveal itself, therefore, as a child's game that one could not win, and boys dropped out of school and went to work. My father wanted me to do the same. I refused, even though I no longer had any illusions about what an education could do for me. I had already encountered too many college graduated handymen. My friends were now downtown busy, as they put it, fighting a man. They began to care less about the, the way they looked, the way they dressed, the things they did. Presently, one found them in twos and threes and fours in the hallway, sharing a jug of wine or a bottle of whiskey, talking, cursing, fighting, sometimes weeping, lost and unable to say what it was that oppressed them except that they knew it was the man, the white man. And there seemed to be no way whatever to remove this cloud that stood between them and the sun, between them and love and life and power, between them and whatever it was that they wanted. 
One did not have to be very bright to realize how little one could do to change one's situation. One did not have to be abnormal sensitive to be worn down to a cutting edge by the instant and gratitude, humiliation, and danger one encountered every working day, all day long. The humiliation did not apply merely to working days or workers. I was 13 and was cross, crossing Fifth Avenue on my way to 42nd Street Library, and a cop in the middle of the street muttered as I passed him, why don't you niggas stay uptown where you belong? When I was 10 and didn't look certainly and older to, to me, any older, two policemen amused themselves with me by frisking me, making comic and terrifying speculations concerning my ancestry and probably sexual prowess, and for good measure, leaving me flat on my back in one of Harlem's empty lot. Just before and then during the Second World War, many of my friends fled into the service all to be changed there, and rarely for the better, many to be ruined, and many to die. Others fled to other states and cities, that is, to other ghettos. Some went on wine or whiskey or the needle and are still on it, and others like me fled into the church. For the wages of sin was visible everywhere, in every wine stain and urine splash hallway, and every clinging ambulance bell, and every scar on the faces of the pimps and their whores, and every helpless newborn baby being brought into this danger, and every knife and pistol fight on the avenue, and every uh, uh, disastrous bulletin, and cousin, mother of six suddenly going mad, the children parceled out here and there, an indestructible aunt rewarded for years of hard labor by a slow, agonizing death in a terrible small room, someone's bright son blown into eternity by his own hand, another turned robber and carried off to jail. It was a sum of dreadful speculation and discovery, of which these were not the worst. Crime became real, for example, for the first time, not as a possibility, but as a possibility. One would never defeat one's circumstances by working and saving one's penny. One would never, by working, acquire that many pennies. And besides the social treatment accorded even the most successful Negroes, provided that one needed in order to be free, something more than a bank account. One needed a handle, a lover, a means of inspiring fear. It was absolutely clear that the police would whoop you like and take you in as long as they could get away with it and that everyone else, housewives, taxi drivers, elevator boys, dishwashers, bartenders, lawyers, judges, doctors, and grocers would never, by the operation of any generous human feelings, cease to use you as an outlet for his frustration and hostilities. Neither civilized reason nor Christian love would cause any of these people to treat you as they presumably wanted to be treated. Only the fear of your power to retaliate would cause them to do that or to see you to do that, excuse me, or to seem to do it, which was and is good enough. There appears to be a vast amount of confusion on this point, but I do not know many Negroes who are eager to be accepted by white people, still less to be loved by them. They, the blacks, simply don't wish to be beaten over the head by the whites every instant of our belief, our brief passage on this planet. White people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when they have achieved this, which will not be tomorrow, and may, may very well be never, the Negro problem will no longer exist, for it will no longer be needed. People more advantageous place than me, than we in Harlem were and are, will no doubt find the psychology and the view of human nature stretched above dismal and shocking and extreme. But the Negro experience in the white world cannot possibly create them any respect for the standards by which the white world claims to live. The reason that passage like resonated with me on those four pages because I'm I'm like one of the first generations born after the civil rights movement. You know, and then when you understand that, like this is a reason why I wear this pick with this apple fist in my head. You know what I mean? Besides that, in my first book, it's in my book too, I use it as a, 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 it's a technique called symbology. And you use, you use an object to represent an idea. So this represents the connection between my generation and the generation that came before. Like, so we, we about black power, we black parents, the 5% and all that. So, you know, and um, 
coming up and when you, when you listen to what he wrote these words, I think he was born in what, 1920, if I'm not mistaken, 1920, 1930. And as well as, I grew up in the time of the most violent era in America. Like, you know, I was 10 years old in 1985. That's what they claim was the start of the crack era. Like, you know, so I seen a love, and I'm from Brooklyn. So I seen a level of violence. I seen a level of police interaction that maybe people now might not see because I didn't see, I saw one black cop my whole time. And that's when I was like 19 years old. So when I was coming up, there wasn't no black cops, there wasn't no Hispanic cops until a certain type of time. So a lot of what he's saying, what he felt in his interaction, he felt this as well in my time coming up. You know, and um, when he put his words together, even when he talked about religion, like, yo, because a lot of people flock to religion. Me, I'm a fan of So, my perspective on religion when it comes to, like, I don't identify with the term African American. I identify with Black American because I feel like, yo, my struggle is unique to over here in America. I like to say I'm rainbow because Black people come in different colors. That's that's so. that's more fact. But I, the people that went through mm -hmm. what they call the slave trade that that went through there, because we know definitely that the ethnic groups of African that came over here is not the ethnic group of African that came, that, that that went through the four-headed process. So you know, and I think that that always has to be respected and and, and identified. So with with that being said, so I don't feel that black people should embrace religions that enslave them and used to enslave them and used as a tool. You know, I don't get into the point about the mystery God concept and all that because I deal with religion from a historical perspective. You know, we can go all the way back to the Nazi and council choose to, but you know, but I know the most of the lay person don't study like that. So when he's talking about how people feel like, well, you know, when their relationship with Christianity, the girls felt like, yo, I gotta become a mother, or boys felt like I gotta become, I gotta be like my father, I can't advance myself. That's a, that's a certain state of mind. And it's almost sad because, like I said, I work in the juvenile facilities, I go to Horizon and I go to Crossroad, and it's like, they have this mind state. I'm like, damn, your mind state should have elevated past the mind state that I have. But it's like, their mind state is digressing. Who's they? The young people inside the juvenile facility. Right. Right. They're losing the you knowledge. Know, some of them can't even read. You know what I mean? And that's sad. That, yeah, that's sad because yeah. you know that that goes to the quality of where education is at now. Because right. you you shouldn't be able, you shouldn't really you shouldn't be able to get past third grade if you don't know how to read, write, script, and do multiplication. It makes it hard to express yourself. Yeah. So and it's like we going backwards when we should be going forward. Like in this passage, he said about um about um about some about you know uh, uh, no matter what even no matter what type of black person no matter where they at they still gonna be treated the same like you know there's a word called parvenu one of one of my brothers he got a clothing line called parvenu but the word parvenu means that people that acquire newfound wealth and success but never will have the social standards to go along with them. and that's us over in this country so it's like, you know, so so I come from a current of people that don't really care about being accepted. You know, we're going to do what we're going to do, and that's just what it is. So, and, and, it, and it definitely resonates, you know, it definitely resonates. So that's why I read those four pages. I'm in Harlem, so. Wow. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. 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 Any further questions? And we have our next, if not, we have our next reader, Rob. Uh, who's curator of this space here today? Uh, yes. Yes. You uh, what up, Rob? You um, hi, my name is Bluestone. Ryan, Ryan Bluestone from Fortune. How y'all doing? Um, somebody, I think it was the professor that read the last last one. You read this and you said something just now. Cause well, I don't understand. I don't understand most of the stuff that you know went on. Or whatever, so I'm really at a loss when when I'm supposed like it's not even it's like it feels like it's supposed to. Like it feels like that's the word people treat you with. Like you're supposed to take this because because whatever, bro. I'm, I'm like I wasn't here 50, 45, 10, 15. Like you feel what I mean? Like those years I wasn't here for that. So when I'm riding my bike and I see somebody get stopped over and the passenger guy's hands on me, that was last night. So it's like 
The same thing you said happened in um, out of state with the black cop. The black cop was more mean than the white cop. Like I was more afraid of the black cop than the white cop. What I'm trying to ask is like, is, what is the like, what is the Honestly,ぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼうぼう
you know, but we look at each other as enemies before we look at somebody that's really oppressing us. Another thing that we got to get away from, like, I think it was um, um, Nilly Fuller, his book, Stop Saying Day. Like, you know, what I started doing was, I used to, if I, if I used to do music at one time, I knew every executive in a big music label, and I knew that none of these music label executives, the big ones, was even from America. BMG, Germany, Avenci, French. So it's like when you start being able to identify who this so-called day is, then you can start better preparing yourself to come with solutions. But if you say day, who, who is day? Day is any day. That's like a ghost. Day, 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 day. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Even where we live at it, you ask dudes, yo, who the, who the priest, who the captain precinct right there? Who the, who the, who, who the officer in charge of the night mm -hmm. shift? Who the head of the detective unit? They don't know. And that's a problem because they also have community police and they never give people like the community, which is like me, who really is from Harlem, who's really in these streets and who has been, I never knew would be in, um, what's that called, um, black racially profiled this into the last two years but like instead of them giving you the information you need is to hold the information back to keep you suppressed because if I knew better I would go do better and I wouldn't just be talking out a lot I would I would be going to they have community police that are supposed to handle problems but it's hard to get that information for some people like me I feel like and it's just a whole lot going on but i'm with you and i was just saying to myself like um a week ago that i see a lot on tv that they always say black people did this but who taught black people to be killing who taught them to abuse who taught them hate get to the point get to the root of it because it's deep you know but i try not to get too much into it because a lot of people is not awoken, that eye is not awoken, that third eye, and it's, it's very serious, but it's, it's the education and the suppression, and if you don't know how to express yourself or how to have yourself set up in a certain way, it's hard to succeed in America, especially as a black person. I, mean, I think Frederick Douglass said this, but I'm misquoting part of me. He said, a powerful people will never teach a power unless people how to obtain power. Mm -hmm. you have to relinquish that power. You know what I mean? So it's like, and that's just, yeah, like, I'm not a, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican, like, you know what I mean? So I don't, I'm not into this political system because I don't think it works, and I don't believe in reform either. So it's like it has to be destroyed and something new because New York's, I think that they said in Queens alone, it's 200 different ethnic groups of people right. that live in Queens alone. So our current systems that we live under was created by a small group of, of white slave owners. They didn't even have their own, they didn't even respect their woman enough to have their woman at the table. So we have a, so we have a, a, a patriotic, sexist system in all of what is political, educational, Coast, all of that. So, in order for us to really strive, and maybe, maybe like one day we'll look like how Star Trek of the old game together, and then we start going in the state. I like sci-fi too. Right, I'm big on sci-fi zone. So, so it's like, but we, what we currently got is only going to keep doing is like duplicating what we see. Like, come on, man, police killing. People, Black Lives Matter, I don't, I'm not into that neither. That's not nothing new to me. Right. That's not nothing new to me. It's not new to me. You see what I'm saying? So, but it's like, because people got cell phones, this and that. You know, I remember when they caught, uh, 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 when they beat Rodney King up. Somebody just happened to have one of those big cameras that put, had BCH tapes in, rattling down the highway and caught that. So now people like, oh, that really goes on. Mm -hmm. Now, people see it all the time. Police got body cameras on, and it's still going on. So that means that it's the culture of right. a society that we live in that the black exactly. man life it doesn't have it the doesn't same matter. value. Exactly. And then we fall victim to it too. So we look at somebody else like, yo, f that cat. You know what I mean? He the op. You know, like when I be dealing with the young dudes, I be like, yo, what makes a person an op? Like especially the ones that shoot us. I'm like, yo, you know that person? Right. They're like, nah. So why did you shoot him? Because he was the op. 
I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? And I try to tell myself, yo, I come up in, I come up in a time when New York was averaging 2,000 murders a year. Whoever got killed nine or 10 times, I'm the people that was supposed to get killed. It sounds foul, but that's just what it was. You know, so we didn't have options. We was, if we was beefing, it was behind something. What is the op snitch? Opposite opposition. Oh, what's the opposition? Yeah, so whoever like, it's like, it's like, yeah, so it's like. What, they don't even know who the real enemy is. No, they so don't know, but that's the, that's the, so but that's the thing. They not going to know because, like, right now, like, you know, I don't tell young dudes to get out of gangs because I don't really care if they're in the gang or not. You know what I mean? But what I do care if they invest in themselves. Once they invest in themselves, I know you can go in after. You know, so and that's where that's where I be at with them. Like, it's value yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Learn about who you are. Learn about what you need to do. Develop the things that you need to do. When you can't even cross the street or you can't come from one borough to another, that's a problem. This is New York. New York is beautiful. You can't write a thought down. That's a bigger problem. Yeah, so, like, it's people that's way more intelligent than me. I don't have the solution. I don't try to act like I have the solution. But I know that, you know, I'm, I'm a carrier in a certain way. Because we all models. And people look at how we carry it. So they can see me say, yo, I've been, well, I've been to places you ain't been. You know, I was the ones that... Joe Biden called the super predator. The dudes in my generation fell under those laws. The dudes in my generation, brothers just coming home now. You got brothers that got locked up in the late 80s and early 90s just coming home now. I got locked up in 95. I didn't come home in 2014. And I was born in 94. I just turned 28. So, okay. you know, so so you, you got a whole group of black men that was just, we say, goof, they just threw them away. Right, right. So this is what so this is what we got now. So this is why some of us, you know, we play our part now. We try to add on. And what now. about the war on drugs when they were locking people up for weed, and now weed is legal? We're supposed to just forget it. Because I remember when the police literally came, and I was crying tears. I said, "No, I'm about to go on vacation. I was smoking." They said we smelled it. I couldn't believe it, it was. But for me, it was torture. It was more pain. Then just and now it's 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 le it, it just like he said doesn't make any sense. So what? See, but a lot, a lot of that you have to know the history of that. Like you have to know the history of of Nixon because Nixon actually created the war on drugs in the seventies, not Reagan. Mm -hmm. You know, but people don't talk about that. But even before Nixon in the thirties, they had a, uh, they had these um films, black and white films, come out before they created the FBI. They were saying that black and Mexicans smoke weed and get in 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 human strength because weed was actually supposed to be the next bumper crop after after cotton. But you can make too much products with weed. You can make rope. You can make paper. You can make stuff like that. So people that's like the the the, the lumber companies, the tree companies, the paper companies, they lobby. The, um, they lobby down in D.C. to get weed illegal. See, because weed was legal. And then, so it's like, so we going back to weed being legal. It's, wow. a, it's a hypocrisy. Also, everything that was back is just coming back in yeah. circles so, again. So, but this, but like I said, we don't, we don't, we don't critically think and study ourselves to qualify to understand right. these different things. Right. You know, because we use a set of tools that was given to us. Until we discard the set of tools that was given to us and create our own tools, then we'll start looking at things a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a saying that we say each one teach one, but you teach one based off what the level of what you know. Mm -hmm. And I think when we start doing that more and more, you will start seeing. Like, cause we, like, I think the young people, the great, they, they came up in the greatest time ever. Like, they got like, I didn't know about no Wi-Fi until 2014. I didn't know about no browser, no Google, no Facebook, none of that. You know what I mean? But the, but the young people now, y'all grow up with technology. My daughter, four, she had a kid since she was 18 months. Wow. Told me the other day, Daddy, I'm smarter than you. So I don't let her win in nothing. Because <laughs> you're smarter than me. You don't have to earn that. You know what I mean? So with that being said, let me go because you know time's of the essence of the big brother guys come on. But I'm a law divine a law. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Well, the website is thelawdivinealaw.com. Reach out. Peace, peace, Our last reader will be Rob. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. I just like 
most people just jump right in. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about the afterward that comes up. I'll just go right into it. Page uh, 537. The question of identity is a question involving the most profound panic, a terror as primary as the nightmare of the mortal fall. This question can scarcely be said to exist among the wretched, who know merely that they are the wretched, and who bear it day by day. It's a mistake to suppose that the wretched do not know they are wretched. Nor does this question exist among the splendid, who know merely that they are splendid, and who flaunt it day by day. It's a mistake to suppose the splendid have any intention of surrendering their splendor. An identity is questioned only when it is menaced, as when the mighty begin to fall, or when the wretched begin to rise, or when the stranger enters the gate, never thereafter to be a stranger. The stranger's presence making you the stranger, less to the stranger than to yourself. Identity would seem to be the garment with which one covers the nakedness of the self, in which case it is best that the garment be loose, a little like the robes of the desert, through which robes one's nakedness can always be felt and sometimes discerned. This trust is one's nakedness. This trust in one's nakedness is all that gives one the power to change one's robes. Mm. Why that piece? Because when they when he said um, the splendid and the wretched, I come from a white suburb in Connecticut. Somewhere I fell off the white wagon. And I don't know how or why, but I'm glad I did. Um, and I have been seeking ever since multicultural experiences and also anti-racist experiences. And I know white people. Like, I had this filter that I despised for a long time that I was brought up in a white suburb because of all of the splendor that they believed in, that they had. And then a, I got wise to the fact that it's a great filter for me to have because I can see the world through that filter, but I'm experiencing it in the moment. So when I do my work, my main mission is to go back to white people to explain to them then what the fuck they don't understand, what they're missing, what they're ignoring. I don't go to black communities and talk about what I know so much because I believe people talking to black communities more than, well, white people don't need to be telling black people what to do. Like Malcolm X said, fix your own house. Yeah. And white people's house is screwed up. Pardon my language, but I get a little foul with my language sometimes because I get so fired up. But our house is messed up, very much. Black people's house, I don't know. You guys, you know. You know where your problems are or not. Um, but I know where it is with white people. I have tattooed on my arm John Brown because I believe in John Brown. If you don't know what John Brown is, He's an abolitionist from back in the day who killed slave owners. He had 12 sons and they trained them all to kill slave owners unless they gave up their slaves. He said, when people are being enslaved, it's wartime. It's a wartime condition. So we're in war and we're going to kill the slave owners. Mm. I also got Malcolm X on here because I believe in what he said. It was one day one of my brothers, I have three older brothers, said to me, why are you so into Malcolm X? He's a negative, violent man. And I was like, all right, and your kid goes to school. Y'all got kids. You go, a kid goes to school. He gets punched in the face. He comes home. What do you tell him to do? Uh, ignore him. He won't do it again. He goes to school the next day. gets punched in the face. What do you tell your kid? He comes home. Uh, tell the teacher. You tell the teacher. But the third day, the kid gets punched in the face again. Teacher didn't do shit. Excuse my language. Fourth day, kid comes home, punched in the face. Go tell the principal. Principal didn't do nothing. On day five, the parent finally says, punch the kid back. That's how I see part of Malcolm X. That's how I translate it to white people, to understand that you can only take so much. You, Malcolm never went out and pushed mm. the only reply. Mm -hmm. And so white people don't understand that because of the way the media, the way you were talking about how the representations, and the fact that what you go through, trying to have a peaceful moment, trying to get on a bus, based on how the white system has set up these, these codas that we live within, mm -hmm. and we're not fully aware of. So I really, I love that when I'm with black communities, um, they embrace me because I'm a one of many but few white people who can see a bit of this. And I love it when I'm in white communities because they all freak out. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't make me take off my robe. Don't make me look at my splendor and the other wretched. Because I love my splendidness. And it's all BS. We're all equal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody was like.
Jerry Springer. Um, <laughs> you, see how, you see how like all of this is going on, right? Like I know I, you guys hear me. Like I sound, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very like mad and upset about a lot of the stuff that goes on. But what, I, what I, what I like don't, like what I do understand and what I have like a super, like all my might, I'll stand behind it. Is that we can't do the same thing that was done to us, right? Because then it's just gonna be like. Perpetuate. It's just going to be ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's just going to be ridiculous. Imagine it was a black police force and a white police force. And a black work with the whites, the whites work with the black. It would just be death all over the place. You get what I'm saying? So, this is what I'm saying. I like this. I like what you said because I'm, I'm telling you, it just really calmed me down, bro. Because I have, I, I actually write a poem about when will I, if, I, if they will ever become a chance, while well, fighting for the cop. You get what I'm saying? So, that's the type of thoughts that's running through my head. I don't want those thoughts running through my head. So, I write them down. So, I thank you. For coming up there and saying what you said because you know what I'm saying this, it takes a lot but like coming here and doing this stuff I feel is the best thing for us to do because you know if we just get up and start screaming and da 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 it's like there's a high chance even the person you're screaming at don't even know what you're talking about you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. that part that part oh it's like it was I was on the side I'm done after this I was on the bus and I actually like was telling I was actually saying it I was saying it out loud in the bus driver she heard me and I went up to her and I told her, I was like, listen, this is like, I'm not trying to make you feel like any type of way. I'm not trying to be mean to you. This lady looked me on my face and said, listen, man, I understand everything you said. They violated, they this and that. Call me down in like two seconds. <laughs> so I understand, like, it's, uh, like, we understand and we know, but it's, like you said, like, it was taught and then the people that taught it just died off. So now they, the sons and the daughters exactly. are reaching And we don't and question some of those things. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So... No, but so another thing Malcolm said you made me think of, get to you one sec, is uh, we don't want to sit at the counter. Mm -hmm. You know, why do we want to sit at the counter with white people? And I totally agree with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. Our house is fucked. We're, excuse me, our house is messed <laughs> up. We've been torturing and feeling like we've been living splendid forever. It's a messed up state of mind to be in. And when I try to shred that with other white people, some of them go, oh, you're right. Oh, my God. And then some of them are like, nah, man, you're crazy. You're just some stupid <laughs> artist, you know. You know, I wanted to say to you that you brought some light in how there's so much work to be done. You know, uh, I believe in doing the work because I know in my experience that freedom is not free. And by you saying what you say, it's always a start, right? Where's the team at? Where's the team? Yes. Yeah. We're not taught. Well, there you don't find many white people. <laughs> We're not taught to be that way. If you look at, like, I was a, I was a, uh, I worked at a daycare. I was right. the only guy. Right. I was the only white guy. Right. Because white men are not taught to nurture. We're not taught to be social workers and care about others. We're taught to get St. Pauli, Pauli girl cleavage in our face mm -hmm. and cigars and cars and bars. That's our thing. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're taught. So like you were saying, next generation, next generation, mm -hmm. it's unquestionable truth now. This is what I deserve. Because I'm, I'm this particular guy, kind of human being. Right. No, we, we all equal. Yeah. Right. And, and your skin color is just your skin color, right? Because uh, I know uh, my history. I know my generation. You understand? And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, I think my family prayed, paid a high price for low living. Point blank. But I'm willing, because I'm here on earth, to do the work. Because I love my freedom. I embrace my freedom today. So I'm not going to allow you to what? say anything to me, you understand? I'm going to always keep my posture in a humility state of mind. And that's what gets me through. Yeah. You understand? I went for a job one time, right? And, and my last name is Swedish. And when I walk through the door, I'm with a white man. And he looked at me and he said, you ain't white. So what you want to do? You want to pay me my money now or you want to give me the job? <laughs> he didn't expect for me to even say that. But turn around, he had the same last name as I ah. did. And that's what caught him. 
<laughs> so he gave me the job, right? He gave me the right? I'm going to close with that. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you everybody. I truly want to uh, <coughs> thank everyone for joining in this reading and discussion. Uh, this is the last of a six-part series uh, that I posted through New York University uh, in conjunction with the various organizations uh, here uh, in New York City. Uh, it's my hope to my relationship hopefully with Rob that we continue these conversations. I was listening to this young man uh, speak and I was speaking with Joel earlier and I want to read this part and I'll read something else then we'll come to a close. The details and symbols of your life have deliberately have been have been deliberately constructed. What page? Uh, Two ninety three to make you believe what white people say about you. Please try to remember that what they believe as well as what they do and cause you to endure does not testify your to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear. I began reading James Baldwin, I like Mala Divine, and which is going to be the passage that I think is important for me to read as I have these conversations today in regards to systemic racism. Sometimes we create systems that perpetuate the same oppression without doing it as the people. So that's when we talk about systemic racism. Now I'll open with this and I'll close with my next passage and um, we'll take it from there. This is on page 291 as it opens to my dungeon show. Dear James, I have begun this letter five times and torn it up five times. I keep seeing your face, which is also the face of your father and, your, and my brother. Like him, you are tough, dark, vulnerable, moody, and with every definite tendency to sound truthful because you want no one to think you are soft. You may be like your grandfather in this, I don't know, but certainly both of you and your father resemble him very much physically. Well, he is dead. He never saw you, and he had a terrible life. He was defeated long before he, wait, I'm sorry about that. He was defeated long before he died. Because at the bottom of his heart, he really believed what white people said about him. This is one of the reasons that he became so holy. I am sure that your father has told you something about all that. Neither you nor your father exhibit any tendency towards holiness. You really are of another era. Part of what happened when the Negro left the land and came into what the late E. Franklin Fraser called the cities of destruction. And this is the most intricate part that I share in a lot of my writings, a lot of my work. You can only be destroyed by believing that you really are what the white world calls a nigger. I began reading James Baldwin after doing over 19 years incarcerated in our thug life, you know, that, that bullshit. A belief system by society constructed that told me this is all I could ever be. January, no, November 2008, 
I sat in the Gainesville Correctional Institution doing another bid. And it was on that night that they let, let us stay up in what we call the day room. Mm -hmm. And in the day room on that night, we were looking at the 2008 election of, 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 of then, you know, that presidential election. And as I sat there looking at this, this black man called Barack Obama run for president, you know, I'm from an era where you like, a, a, before a black man come president, you're going to see the, the, you know, the pigs going to fly and, the, and all that, the jokes. Right. Of black folks aspiring to anything great was always the butt of the joke. Right. And uh, 11.54, they announced that our 44th president of these United States of America, Barack Obama, I'm going to tell you, in prison, you're going to cry. <laughs> you don't that long. I want to tell you, as I sat in that day room, I began to cry, but I was crying because what I realized, what Baldwin had said, I didn't read, gather this until later, is because what I had done is internalized what the world had told me about myself. I believe that because I was black that I was dumb. I believe because that I was black that I will always be poor. I could never aspire to excellence. I believe that what he referred to as when we say that the world says that you are a nigger, I believe that I was a thug for life. Trust that. You know, I was sharing with Joel, the young man we read earlier, a lie is a lie. The worst thing about a lie is when you accept the lie as the truth, then it becomes dangerous. Mm, 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 mm. And this was awful. Preach on, don't accept the lies. Oh, Lord. I believe a lot about myself. Mm. I believe a lot about a lot about my people. Mm. That included me. Mm. I've spent the last 12 years of my life after being released. That was the last time I ever went to prison. Because remember now, I'm a lot. From there, I began my academic career. From there, I began to believe another part of me that, you know, that some other people were telling me about me. I began to wonder people like Molly Devines, and we all the words that were saying. There were brothers that crossed my path. Can't hear you, Taryn. I'm uh, sorry, can you be louder? Yes, yes, Thanks. I'm sorry. There were individuals who started coming in my life and giving me another uh, 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 definition of who I was in my blackness. Giving, loving, and all those descriptives that, you know, like you said in the living, you know, when he was writing, because I lived a life where I had to kind of put on a shell of cards because I didn't want you to see the sensitivity of who I was as a man, as a human. I'll end based upon what the young lady here asked the question about. And I began with this, and we'll close with this, and then I ask our readers to come up so that we can take a group photo for this. And we got pizza for y'all as well. Yes. I got food for y'all. There's no pepperoni pizza. You'll never see no pepperoni pizza if I get pizza. But it's a two cheese pizza, a mixed veggie pizza, and a chicken pizza. <laughs> Thank you. It was asked. Uh, earlier by a young lady that asked where's the team mm. right. yeah. was brilliant and here we are the team at the center of the arc trapped in the most gaudiest most valuable most improbable water wheel the world has ever seen. Mm. Everything now, we must assume, is in our hands. Mm. I was lost in that room. We have no right to assume otherwise. If we, and now I mean the relatively conscious whites, 
and the relatively conscious blacks who must like lovers insist on or create the consciousness of the others do not falter in our duty now. We may be able, the handful that we are, to end the racial nightmare and achieve our country and change the history of the world. If we do not now dare everything, the fulfillment of that prophecy recreated from the Bible and sown by a slave, it is upon us. God gave Noah the rainbow sign. No more war. Fight next time. Thank you. Get out of here.